0: Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of Geek to Me Radio. Today we're joined by Emmy-nominated storyboard artist, director... Writer, producer, Larry Houston talking all about his career. We'll cover X Men the Animated Series and more. Stand by! The Greater St. Louis area tonight. Hearing this on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for tuning in. If you are streaming us out there in the world on parts throughout the internet, we thank you for tuning in there. And if you are hearing us after the fact in the podcast form, we appreciate your subscribing and listening. We have a lot to talk about with this guest, so we're going to dive right in. Emmy-nominated director, producer, writer, and storyboard artist, Mr. Larry Houston. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Good. Uh, Can you see me? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can see you in here. Yes, I apologize. The the way we have the video set up, I don't know if you can actually see me unless you're looking at the actual feed, but we are streaming this on Twitch, on YouTube, and on Facebook and on Instagram, I believe, as well. So uh, everyone is seeing both of us. So uh, thanks very much for your time (laughs) today. I appreciate talking to you.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, because I I don't see you. I just see myself.
0: Well, you're you're, you're better off looking at you than you are me. Trust me. (laughs) but uh, I was going over all this stuff. And one of the things initially that kind of blew me away is I was today years old when I realized that you did the art for a lot of those He-Man mini comics and the masters of the universe things. Those I, I I must've had a ton of those growing up and it was really, I guess when you think about my first introduction to comic books.
1: Yeah. I, um, I got a chance to do about 10 or 12 of the uh, He-Man mini comic books back in, back in the mid eighties. Um, It was a lot of fun because I was working at Marvel Productions in the daytime, working on either uh, Transformers or G.I. Joe or the Hulk. And at nighttime, I go home and do the mini comic books.
0: So you're just always working on and you were a fan of this stuff, too. So was it was it ever really work for you? No, I guess not. You know, um, (laughs) know, when I
1: first started in the anime before I got into animation business, I had always wanted to be a comic book artist and I couldn't afford to go to New York I didn't know anybody there but you know when when Mattel came up with this invitation to do the He-Man comic book it was like hey here's my chance to uh see if I can uh make it as a comic book artist so I took the job and uh it was a lot of fun you know they let me create a lot of stuff they um they they didn't they let me be creative
0: I, I'm taking a look at all the stuff behind you and I'm mesmerized. You've got the superpowers figures up there and obviously you worked on Challenge of the Super Friends Galactic Guardians. You've got the Eagle Moss figures over there to your right-hand side, uh, the G.I. Joe posters. D- do you have like little souvenirs from all the different projects you've worked on?
1: Yeah, basically when in the early uh, 80s, we were doing a lot of uh, the shows that we were working on that that involved toys, they gave us free toys. And so what we would do is we would take the toys and push pin all of the toys on the wall. So if we wanted to draw a character, we could just pull it off the wall and say, okay, that's what the costume looks like. And so almost for every show, I got toys working on it. I got, uh, what you can't see. I got black star. I got Robocop. I got secret (laughs) war, Batman, uh, all the early turtles. Um, let's see. Swamp thing, Bucky O'Hare, uh, dark water. Um, uh Jim planet captain planet and uh yeah stuff like that all yeah. around and and obviously x-men stuff
0: yo yeah i mean that the toy line on just the x-men stuff that you guys work on was a juggernaut no, no pun intended uh all, all the different toys i was just talking to a guy <laughs> yeah. today i still have my x-men blackbird and x-men sentinel from that toy biz line uh in the in the oh. package i keep those in the box but a lot of my other stuff yeah. sadly got sold off here and there but uh but, I mean, you could probably, if you think about it, if you've got all that stuff, you could probably retire and just sell all that stuff and live off the merchandise you've got there for the rest of your life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I wish that was the case, man. You no, know, all the work I was working on was all work for hire. So uh, know, there's no resi- there's no um, uh, residuals coming from any of that stuff.
0: Oh, no. Because you yeah, think about no all those.
1: I get it. It's like nowadays, not that uh, Marvel has, has purchased the X-Men. Um, the residuals I get is that me, myself, and the voice actors—we were touring at different conventions, and um, you know, meeting the fans and selling prints and stuff like that. And that was like, I guess, that you could say that's kind of a, you know, we're getting some money from that stuff, which is great. But we're also giving back to the fans and giving them uh, backstories and stuff to how we worked on the show and uh, stuff they didn't know about. You know, how hard it was to get to get it on the air to begin with. You know.
0: It right, a, yeah. That's all the stuff you guys have worked on. It's great. It's great because I know you guys, especially you and uh, Eric and Julia, uh, were doing a lot of those conventions and everything like that. And obviously, the pandemic kind of brought that to a halt. Is there? Have you been yeah. booked for any conventions in 2021 that you're planning on going to?
1: Um, I've gotten emails on tentative, you know, I, you know, to join to the conventions, but it's all been tentative because they, they have they, there's no. Um, set dates Hmm. because everything's you know everything's in flux so but i've you know i told him, yeah i have interests i love to do it once once it feels safe and uh and everything so yeah i'm up for that
0: very nice yeah hopefully we'll be able to do those that's one of the biggest things i missed was the conventions i usually do about four or five a year and i love going to them and obviously uh it's tragic (laughs) too because when you think about all these people i love meeting the voice actors and the people like you who work behind the scenes and sadly we lost norm spencer uh, it's just one of those yeah. things where uh, that's, it gives me even more incentive to get out and meet people like yourself uh, who have done all these great shows. Uh, we just lost Felix Silla uh, Friday night from Buck Rogers and uh, Adam's family. Oh. I was just about to see him at a convention. Oh, yeah. So it's just it's always it's So that's why if you're listening right now, folks, get out to these conventions and go see people like Larry who have worked on all these shows. Uh, you talked about the residuals and everything like that it feels like Disney plus bringing the X-Men animated series over to their platform has really given it kind of a new life. I don't think it ever went away because it was a yeah. groundbreaking series, but that's gotta be nice. Especially you're on Twitter. You're seeing the constant stream of people who are just like, Oh, this is my favorite series ever that I grew up with this. It yeah. turned me on to comic books. That's gotta be a great feeling for you.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, Eric and I, when we in between, in between the times when the series ended and, and in, until Disney bought it, we were kind of like out there, trying to promote the show we worked on. Um, But because um, Marvel didn't own the X-Men, we never got any help. We're out there on our own, uh, you know, the bastard child running around to different conventions. And when, you know, Disney Plus finally put it on on their platform, yeah, it kind of blew up. It was kind of like people rediscovered the show. We gained a whole new audience. The, The original ones we had and new ones and um, that's been really good because now, um, we, we're we're back in the fold, so to speak. <laughs> and, no kidding. Uh, it feels really good now the, to be a part of the the company again.
0: And uh, it, there's so many different places I want to start because I've got so many questions to ask you and so much to talk about. But we do have uh, the listeners out there. If you have a question you want to ask Larry, you can text it to us at eight four one two six. When you send us the text, just include. You know, your name, like James from St. Louis, and then your question, so I can make sure to, you know, say who you are and give you credit for the question. Um, we're also streaming this on YouTube, Facebook, so if you have a question, you can type it in there, and uh, my producer, Joey V, will give <laughs> me the, the question if we can ask it online. But one of the things I was floored by, uh, Pride of the X-Men, I, I have it on VHS. Yeah. I love that yeah. show, and it had like some of the people who worked on G.I. Joe, because that was under the Marvel Sunbow production, if I'm not mistaken, like Michael Bell, who voiced Duke and G.I. Joe voiced Cyclops. Um, when you were going into that, did you have expectations that this would be it? Or was it still kind of one of those feelings like eh, we need a little bit more behind it to get this off the ground?
1: Well, we at the time, it was the three of us, it was uh, Will Mineo, Rick Holberg and myself. Uh, we were all fanboys and we were uh, our boss was was Stan Lee and Margaret Lesh. Mm. And she had always been a, a fan of the, the X-Men concept. And so she found the money to do the pilot. And so we tried to put our best foot forward to try and sell it as a concept because back then in the 80s, um, you only had CBS, NBC, and ABC. That was the only place you could sell cartoon shows. So we put together a pilot. We got a really very good animation studio in Japan to do the animation. And uh, we were trying to, you know, we were trying to get it off the ground in the 80s. But part of the problem was that. You know, first we had a compromise, which we didn't like, which we, which they wanted to make, you know, Logan, um, you know, Australian because of D- Crocodile Dundee at the time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we also wanted to do the, the Sentinels, but they wanted um, a cast of villains. So that's where McNeil and the rest of those characters came from. You know, and those are like two big creative compromises, but we said, okay, let's let's just... let's just keep going, let's try and put together a really good show and try and do something that, you know, we can get an audience for. And uh, we did our best. There were three uh, networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC. That was the only place you could sell a cartoon show to. And so um, they had no interest. They had no idea what a mutant was, what the stories are too complicated, kids won't get it, you know, whatever. They had a lot of reasons why they wouldn't... um, take on the show. So, you know, it was a pilot, the best we could do at the time, you know, and it didn't go anywhere, but, you know, we tried to do it. We did our best, the three of us. Um, We all kind of co-wrote it. I think Will did act one, Rick Holbrook did act two, and I did act three. So we, we are, we're like partners. We're we're fanboys from a long time ago, back in the (laughs) seventies. So we kept that friendship and partnership going all throughout our entire, um, uh, uh, sorry, Marvel production days. Yeah. So we've been partners in a lot of stuff ever since.
0: So when it finally comes to 1990, uh, and we get the, not, not the nineties, I should say, uh, when we get the X-Men animated series, uh, night of the Sentinels parts one and two was, had there been no network interference, would that have been what pride of the X-Men might've looked like?
1: Yes. If, if they had not been involved, that's very close to what the, uh, the Pride of the X Men would have been closer to would have been the X Men instead of Magneto and the whole and the cadre of villains that we had at the time, um, and neither the Sentinels we had to fight. We had there's so many things that you guys don't know about the behind the scenes that we had to do fights to keep out the product placements and dumbing down the show, and uh, we had to fight to to get a character die in the first episode. Um, uh, we had. Many, many fights. And, you know, one at one point, we tried to agree with them politically, but not really do it.
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> Let them think exactly they heard their winning.
1: They were, they, instead of asking us, they were telling us, you will do this, you will do that. Collectively, I think it was like six of us. Um, could have been seven. But we just said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, we're obviously the wrong creative team that you guys want. And, uh, we're all going to quit get somebody in Wow! So We're all, we're all walking away from it and they backed off, but in backing off, they pretty much thought that what we were doing was wrong. And I thought we were going to be one and done. And actually they, they left me alone as the director on the show that, you know, they didn't really care. Cause they figured we we're going to, you know, crash and burn, but that because of that, I knew this was my one second bite at the apple. And so I knew, okay, I got to make this first season the best season I can because they're not going to let me do this again. And so they didn't micromanage me, so I just went ahead and just did the did the best show I could as as a fanboy and as a professional, and do the best X Men show that I could because I've been a fan of the X Men since it came since it was created back in the '60s. And so for me, the I get the, I get the question a lot of times: What's your favorite episode? And for me, it's the last episode, thirteen of the final decision, because when I did that episode, I didn't, th- I didn't. There was no guarantee of a season two. Yeah, that was my last show to do the X Men in life. I thought, so I just put in the kitchen sink. I tried to make it as dramatic and powerful as I could. I, I changed things in the script. I rewrote scripts. I re- I, I reformatted that that last episode to make it the best I could. And literally, we all had our resumes. We were going to leave and they at the very last minute of, of post doing posts on the show they said don't go anywhere you got another you got a season two but you got to change that ending because i had I, I directed the ending where it's like Gina scott on a picnic basket they're as thinking about getting married you know sunset fade out that was the end of the series and so we had to take it and re re-cut it and then we create in post we created this computer scene with with them and we created like this shadow of sinister coming in as like a, a setup for season two but that was literally at the last minute oh, wow because the writers and, and directors all of us we were gone we were gone we figured that was it that was my one shot at my second shot at doing the x-men and it worked you guys and I at the conventions I always thank the fans because without the fans that would have been it that would have been it just season one that would have been it but you guys hung up hung in with the show they liked the show they liked what we were doing and that's how come we got five years out of it
0: five seasons and a lot of great episodes the people still go to today uh, we're going to take our first commercial break. We're going to come back talking more with Larry Houston. If you've got a question, once again, you can tune in and send your text to 84126. You can also feel free to call the listener line. We've got that at 314 931 5877. 7. We'll be right back talking more with Larry Houston. Please stand by. Hi, this is Greg Weissman, the creator of
1: Gargoyles and co-creator of Young Justice, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. Stay well. Welcome
0: back to geek to me Radio. Chatting this entire hour with director, writer, producer, story artist, Larry Houston. I want to make sure we mention our premier sponsor, the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You can check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. It's a great time to get out if you are wanting to get some fresh air. Uh, Lots of stuff to do in seeing St. Charles. You can bike ride the Katy Trail, uh, take your dog out and play Frisbee in Frontier Park. A lot of great dining and shopping experiences. And these are all small businesses right here along South Main Street in St. Charles, folks. So if you want to get out and support small businesses, this is the way to do it. Uh, we're hopefully seeing a light at the end of the COVID tunnel. But if you're still not entirely safe, these restaurants are still offering curbside pickup. A lot of the stores are offering curbside pickup as well. And maybe you're thinking 2021, I want to get out there. I want to see something I haven't seen before. And you're from out of town, not been before. Go to the website, discoverstcharles.com. You can plan your trip. Uh, lots of places to stay. There's always something to do. Always something going on. Festivals uh, always coming down the pike. And as we always say, it's an historically good time. DiscoverSTCharles.com. Chatting this hour with Larry Houston, talking all about his incredible career in uh, animation and everything he's done. One of the things we just had Greg Wiseman bringing us back from commercial break, obviously spectacular Spider-Man, one of the projects he worked on with you, Larry. And I know you also worked on uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends Um, I wanted to ask you about one thing in particular. You wrote the episode Swarm from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I really think this speaks to what a fan you must be because he was a very obscure villain. First appearance in Champions number 14 was in Spectacular (laughs) Spider-Man 36 and 37. But I mean, you could have written a story probably with Dr. Octopus, Green Goblin, Kingpin. But you chose Swarm, which I love. And it kind of shows what a fan you were. What made you decide to go with him as the villain? I was um
1: at the time i was I w- at, at on, on amazing friends that we were ha- actually having problems trying to get the first scripts approved by the network and when the story editor came around in the studio he kind of mentioned it and i asked him could i submit an idea he said yeah sure go ahead so when i was thinking about it i thought about okay um the the idea of a spider versus a bee it, just, it popped in my head. And then I thought it, it kind of made me think, oh, yeah, Swarm. Okay. Then I, I came up with the story of creating Swarm for the bad guy, basically. And uh, I wrote the premise and uh, we shipped it off to the networks. And I was like one of the first two that got approved by the network. Oh, wow. As, like, they wanted to go with it. And so they gave me the premise back. I went ahead and wrote the script. And uh, it it... I didn't get screen credit, but I got paid for it. But uh, it was, I wrote that, that, that uh, episode. And I also storyboarded act one of it. So I got to set up my own script. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that it, was nice.
0: That, and you've had so many hats. We talked about all the things you do. Is it is it easier when you're doing more than one thing for a specific episode? Like you wrote it and you also have to storyboard it. So it makes it, makes it easier on you from, I guess, both standpoints. Or is it sometimes easier to just be the storyboard artist or just be the writer?
1: Um, I, I do like doing both (laughs) myself. So it was a lot of, it was like, I knew how to set up my own story and I knew how I wanted to make it dramatic and, and have, have things, you know, really set up the bad guy. So I'm really glad I got this chance to do that because I had specific images in my mind as to what it should look like. So it, it, um, I'm glad I got a chance to work, to do it that way, um, I, I wasn't, see, I wasn't also, I wasn't the director of the episode. Uh, that was uh, Don Jerwich.
0: Hmm.
1: And so even though I wrote it, and I, I directed that one, I didn't control the entire thing. Um, at that time, I, I didn't get to be promoted to being direct until I got on uh, GI Joe, which is like a couple of years later. But it was good. I got to get out, out there. And I got a compliment from the networks. They really liked my episode. So it was, it, it was a lot of encouragement for a 25 year old no me. <laughs> doubt like the hell's great for my ego you know it's like yes i'm on the right track it, it gave me that kind of that kind of uh, positive in, uh encouragement
0: and if it makes you feel any better at all that episode also inspired my fear of bees so thank you <laughs> <laughs> But though it was it was a great episode and like I said. I, I remember seeing the comic book much later on when I was older. I'm like, "Ah, that's the that's the villain from that Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which is still my my go-to Spider-Man. I still hear Dan Gilvezan's voice in my head. I've talked about it on the show multiple times. Joey's probably sick of me saying it. Yeah. Um but and then like we said, you got to work later on Spectacular Spider-Man, which a lot that that is probably I'd say one of the most popular animated series. Uh, when you get to work on several of these different incarnations, like you also worked on X-Men Evolution, uh, yeah. wh- is it a different kind of feeling going? Because it's a different animation style, different different uh, you know themes that are going on, or is it kind of like just you're home again? You're working on the same characters basically at the end of the day.
1: And for me, it, it um, I, 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 what I can say is that I've been a fanboy all my life, and the fact that I'm working on a, on a cartoon show that I, I read as a kid and I get to do storyboards on it. I'm just, you know, I'm a kid in the candy store. Yeah. I, I love what I'm working on. And it was just like, oh, you know, Spider-Man. Oh, you know, X-Men Evolution. Hey, this is great, man. You know, give me more. Give me more. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy it like to death, you know.
0: And you actually got your start as in filmation, I believe, uh, was your first 4 a.m. Anim- because you were in computers, I think, if I'm not mistaken, before you kind of launched your brand new career in animation that kind of just took off so what was how was the transition going from what you were doing into okay now i'm working on producing these cool animated series
1: it was well for me, myself i was um in high school i, I met with friends would draw our own comic books for our, for our own amusement so i did my own version of the x-men avengers that kind of stuff um when i was getting ready to go out of high school uh, my mom I told my mom I want to go to New York and be an artist. She said, "That's nice, dear, you know, but you need to get a real job." <laughs> so <laughs> I um, got sidetracked into fixing computers for a living. I did that for like seven years, and near the end of the seventh year, um, I was getting bored. I don't know how else to describe it. I was getting bored of working on computers, and I had friends that were working at Disney and Hannibal Bear and all the other studios, and you know, they telling me, "Come on down, come on down, you know, get hired. You know, you can work." So I, bit, you know, I bit the bullet saying, okay, I, I think I was like 24, maybe 25 at the time. And I said, well, I got to try, you know, I thought being 30 years old was going to be old, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to try it. No wife, no kids, you know, I got to go for it. And so the, for me, I just, you know, when I was working the computers, just, just imagine I'm, I'm running a computer, running a test. And at the same time, because it takes about an hour to run a test. I'm drawing superheroes. I'm drawing Captain America, I'm drawing whatever. I'm just, my mind is somewhere else. And I knew I had to try. And it, the, the worst thing you can do is not um, take a chance Absolutely. on your dream, but take a chance on what, you're feel, what you feel passionate about. And uh, so I, I did the jump. I uh, left at, left computers, got into got hired at Filmation. And at the time I didn't know it, I I was the first black storyboard artist for Saturday morning, but Hey, I was happy to have a job. Yeah. I was getting paid <laughs> to draw cartoons, man. It was like so much fun. And um, I, I, I lucked out in that I went to filmation to get hired as a layout artist, but I, my, I took the test and failed it twice. Hmm. My artwork wasn't strong enough, but, he saw the comic books I did as a kid in high school with my friends, you know, my version of the X-Men and Avengers and stuff. And the supervisor from Layout introduced me to the supervisor of storyboards. And so he gave me a test. I brought, took it home, brought it back the next day. I impressed him with what I, first, I had turned it in so fast. And second, it was actually a live script everybody was working on. So wow. he liked what I did. He actually put it into the show. And then I got hired the same day. And that's how I got into animation.
0: Very nice. I, it's it, like I said. You know, looking back, because look at all the different uh, stuff you've you've worked on. Just uh, we've got a list here. Art department alone. Thundar, uh yep. Spider-Man: Amazing Friends. GI Joe. Saturday Supercade, which I loved. Saturday Supercade. Incredible Hulk. Mister T. Dragon's Lair. Mighty Orbots, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite theme songs. We're gonna play that going out into the next break here. Uh, other ones like Captain Planet and James Bond Jr. in the 90s so that, some of these are just so esoteric like you wouldn't think James Bond Jr. whoever came up with that it was brilliant because the cartoon went on ahead, so in comic book series and that's one of the great mm-hmm. things about these 80s cartoons is they had the toy line and the comic book series that came right out with them to help marketing it was marketing yeah. genius
1: oh yeah that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the 80s and 90s man that's you get a toy you get a cartoon show boom it's out there
0: Exactly right, and I know uh, Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Warriors, created by Larry Hama. Um, that's yeah. such a fun thing, and I know that's that's one of the things that's near and dear to Larry's heart. Um, how, oh, he's going to check. He's going. He's stepping away, folks. For those of you who are just listening on the stream, he's going to grab a toy. I'm assuming. Oh.
1: No, no, no. It's getting dark. It's
0: oh, did you turn the light Okay, I thought I thought you were going to show me like heart. some Bucky O'Hare sculpt that you still had or something like that. Oh,
1: I got actually. I got one of these. Uh, oh, that's one of the comic books I did. The Secret Liquid of Life. Let's see, yes. Yeah. I did about, let's see, I think I did about 10 of these things, 10 or 12. So I got lots of them
0: here. You know, this. this the stuff Battle here. of Roboto, yes. And let's those see. are coming back now. I know uh, Mattel is releasing the the brand new updated ones, and they still have the mini comics with them, which is great.
1: Oh, they do? Oh, I didn't know
0: that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I didn't look closely. I'm not sure if they're the new mini-comics or if they're, if they're the originals. They're repackaging with kind of the original sculpts, but they're, in, uh, if you can ever find them they're supposedly at Target and Walmart, but I've not seen very many of them at all. Oh. But that a lot of that stuff, and I love talking about the old stuff being new again. Uh, one of the things that was brilliant, Community was such a great show and they had that episode oh, okay. GI Jeff which was great cuz you're the storyboard yeah. artist and you wrote an episode of GI Joe and they have you come back and do the storyboards for that how much fun was that to kind of revisit that genre
1: <laughs> i couldn't believe they they, they were going to do that but when i read what when i read their script I went hey this is fun so they told me to to redesign the opening as if the GI Joe never stopped being you know being made so it's like that i created another GI Joe opening based upon the You know, the the earlier ones I had done, it was fun. I mean, they got us to do, I did, uh, I think I did part of Act 1. Shannon Denton did a part of Act 2, I think. Um, So we were, it was a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of great artists that were working at the studio that I was, uh, Starburns Industries over in, uh, I think it's Burbank. Anyway, yeah. And they were really fond of the old show. And uh, they brought in myself and the, another artist, uh, Russ Heath. The guy he actually did the original model sheets. They brought us both in to work on the show, so they they tried to pull in ex- all the people who were uh, part of the original uh, cast. So it was fun, you know. I I like what they did. You know, they really wanted to make it authentic.
0: <laughs> yeah, they did too. That was that's a great episode. Uh, there's a whole lot more to talk about. Uh, we're chatting this hour with. Larry Houston. If you'd like to call in and say hello, uh, 314-931-5877 is the hotline. You can also text a questioner if you want to say hello. You can text it to 84126. Just say, you know, your name first, James from St. Louis, and here's my question. Uh, we're going to take another quick commercial break. We're going to come right back chatting for the rest of this hour with Larry Houston, so please stand by. Oh, Go Hey, this is Mary McDonald Lewis, and I was the voice of Lady J on GI Joe. Hi, this is Bill Ratner. I'm the voice of Flint on GI Joe. And listening to G. Geek to, to me, me Radio, radio is half the battle. Cobra, the enemy, to save the day. I thought that would be an appropriate return liner since we just got done talking about GI Joe and uh, GI Jeff, the episode of Community where they featured that. Talking with Larry Houston this hour. I want to make sure we mention our premier movie sponsor, which is Marcus Theaters and Movie Tavern. Joe. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. Uh, another thing I missed besides conventions during the pandemic was, of course, movies. And Marcus Theaters and Movie Tavern are making it safe to go back to the movies. They've got social distancing in place. You have to wear your masks. Uh, you can, you know, order your concessions on the app, the Marcus Theaters app. And you can have the concessions ready for you when you arrive to see your movie for a more contactless experience. If you really want to go all out, get a private cinema. It's like $99. You get a private cinema for you and 20 of your friends. Go see Raya and the Last Dragon or Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, Nobody is out now in theaters. Uh, Nobody in the movie. It's not that nobody is out because people are out. But you, I'm going into who's on first thing here. Marcus Theaters at MovieTameron.com is the website. Uh, make sure you order your tickets there online. Save yourself some time. And it's the best movie going experience in the galaxy. Talking the rest of this hour still uh, with Larry Houston, um, uh, one of the cartoons you worked on, if I, it's a director, if I'm not mistaken, the Karate Kid cartoon, short lived, only one season. But I wonder—I keep wonder if they're going to have that cartoon come back in some respect, since we've already got uh, Cobra Kai, which is doing gangbusters online and on uh, now on Netflix. Has there been any talk about reviving the Karate Kid cartoon series?
1: I wish there was. It was uh, Karate Kid was like a very—it was like one of those series where I put in my my best foot forward, and we had good ratings in the beginning, but it kind of petered off. That was. I got a ch- I did the intro for that also. That was like my other uh, experience of doing uh, intros to cartoon shows. And um, yeah, I I I enjoyed it immensely. It was a great uh, experience for me and it for me the thing the, the thing though was that was in comparison to the, um, the 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 synergy between myself and the story editors of the X-Men, the synergy of myself and, and the Karate Kid. We were like we weren't that close in sync. Hmm. I, I wanted to push it more like, I don't know if you know Lupin from Calyosso's um, castle, or it's a high adventure show similar to karate kid. And I wanted to push it in that direction. That's why if you look at the intro, I wanted to go for high adventure. Hmm. And um, they wanted to do something different. So but I did my best. <laughs> to make it. You know, this is a, a model sheet, since you mentioned it.
0: Oh, how cool. It.
1: That's one of the model sheets from uh, *Karate Kid*.
0: Wow! And I know yeah. on your website you've got a lot of these cells. I know from *X-Men* for sale. Um, are these are are these like that one you just showed me? Is that one from your personal collection, or if people want to like, do you have duplicates of those, or is it just the *X-Men* one? Uh, for, and I should mention the website Larry Houston, spelled just like the city. dot com. Uh, you can check out more about Larry. But are, is it just the *X-Men* one that kind of is selling right now? Now
1: on the site, it's just basically *X*. men that I created. Um, uh, things like here, like Karate Kid, that's for my personal collection. Gotcha.
0: So
1: I haven't uh put it out up there for I haven't made I have not made prints of it yet. Um X-Men and, and G.I. Joe have been the two um uh, series that I get the most questions or, or requests for. So I just do those. The um the other show that, that I I did about 118 episodes was um Ninja Turtles. Yeah. You know, I did a whole bunch of those. And uh, I was listening to one of the music that you had, that you had Mighty Orbot.
0: Yes, I love that show.
1: Yeah, because I worked on that show, too. That was a lot of fun to work on that show.
0: Yeah, so I tried to pick out, for the music, when we go out to commercial, I tried to pick out ones that you've worked on. Uh, and yes. someone literally, like last week, someone said, what's an 80s cartoon that you feel nobody knows? I'm like, nobody. <laughs> every time I bring up Mighty Orbots, everyone's like, what's that? But it was in that vein of the combiners, like the Voltron and the, the you know the Transformers that would have the like Devastator and everything. It was in that vein where the robots yeah. would join together. Yeah. And I love that cartoon. I was so bummed that we didn't get more of it.
1: Yeah. That company had its own political reasons why it, it only lasted one season. Oh. But I had a lot of um, fun working on it. As an example, um, in one of the scripts for Orbots, the writer wrote the scene opens with the characters um, playing chess. And I I, I, I opened that, the act one, I get a chance to draw the first images. And, and I read that and I went, this is boring. <laughs> you don't open it <laughs> up. You don't open an action show on people playing chess. So on my own, without permission, I started the scene like you're rushing through a pipe uh, out, and then you're in outer space. And then you see these two robots animating to scene. They've, they've beaten the crap out of each other with with lasers and maces and stuff like that. And it goes on for about maybe, about 20 seconds, maybe at most. Then when you pull back, you find out that these are characters, animated characters on top of a... Um, um, a chessboard. Oh, cool. So I kind of kept what the writer wanted, but I made it a lot more interesting than what the writer had written. You know, another artist probably would have just done a chessboard, and it was it would be boring. And um, fast forward about uh, six months later, the director of that episode met me in the hallway. And he asked me, are you the one who did that chess game? <laughs> and I went, I went, uh, yeah. And he, 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 he took out his hand and wanted to sh- he shook my hand and said, thank you. He made the, sh- the episode a lot more interesting.
0: Good. See, it's one of those things you go with your gut instinct, obviously it paid off. That's great.
1: Yeah. I tried to do my gut instincts on some other boards and you know, they didn't like it. So, you know, you, you never know, but I have to go with what I feel is the best for the, for the, for what I'm working on. I gotta, I gotta do, you know, if, it, if it means changing the script, but making it better, I have to go in that direction. So uh, it, it's a lot better if I'm in charge because then I know what, <laughs> all I got to with me, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then you can approve whatever it is you've done on the storyboard. So that's, uh, that's always helpful when you're, again, when you're wearing multiple hats on a project.
1: Yeah, that's that's how I got all those cameos or Easter eggs into the X-Men is that I the first time I asked permission, they said no. So after that, I didn't ask permission. I just put them in.
0: Yeah, it was great. You snuck in like War Machine in that one episode. And when uh, all the X-Men's kind of panning yeah. through, you see Spider-Man's hand, War Machines there, and a couple other ones. It was, it was brilliant.
1: Yeah, I added those things, but I added all, all those a- Easter eggs in. But the it's going to sound strange, but the system I found was that when I added those characters in, I never called them what they were.
0: Hmm. I
1: never said this was Spider-Man's hand. I never said that was War Machine. I gave them totally different names, and it just went through the system without a problem. But if I, you know, my mistake <laughs> for the first time was saying, this is Spider-Man. They said, no, you can't nope. do Spider-Man. And you know, so after that, I said, okay, fine. I'll do it another way.
0: <laughs> and I assume problems like that would be easier to deal with now, because now that just about every property is back under the Marvel Disney umbrella, where before, I think Sabin owned Spider-Man, Sony and Sabin, uh, you had Fox had the X-Men. So it was, I guess, much harder then. I, I assume it would be easier now.
1: It should be. Um, back then, you know, yeah they Marvel didn't want to give Saban rights they didn't they didn't negotiate so i know that's part of the problem even though Saban was in charge of Spider-Man they were in charge of Power Rangers they were in charge of X-Men um but contractually i guess there's some reason why they didn't want to do that but you know as long as i didn't call uh you know the Thor Thor or Doctor Strange Doctor Strange i called it mutant magician or something like that They
0: had no problem with it. And we had Alan Burnett on the show back in January. Uh, He was talking about Ozzy and Drix as one of his favorites that uh, he doesn't feel gets enough love. And you worked on that one as well. Uh, Yes. There's so many projects you've worked on as well. Uh, Avengers United, they stand, which I feel doesn't get enough love, uh, but that was a great little toy line. They had out for that again, Um, but you've worked on the Batman animated series, static shock, um x-men yeah. evolution we mentioned uh captain planet do you have out of all the projects you've worked on is there any way you could say this is my favorite one either because you directed most of it or you feel like a more attachment to the art because you storyboarded it anything like that
1: i i you know the the, the two uh, it will be two series that i think i feel is the is my favorite one is the x-men the other one is uh believe it or not is uh Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, because on that <laughs> series, I was given control like like exactly like what I had on the X-Men. And myself and my co-product co-director, uh, Davis Doy, we we were given the task of doing twenty-six new episodes. He took thirteen, I took thirteen. And we kind of like were given all the reins of, of production, including hiring the writers, having writer meetings with the writers, so we knew exactly what we were gonna get. We we actually could approve everything. We were like, the, the, the really, the people in charge of everything. So, um, yeah, X-Men and Real Adventures of Johnny Quest were the two at the top, top of my list of places that I've worked on a series that I've, I've been able to, uh, influence the best in the best possible way.
0: And talking about X-Men the Animated Series being one of your favorites. Uh, right now, we've, I've got a copy. If you're watching this on the video, I've got a copy here of Previously on X-Men. This book is uh, tells a lot of the stuff that Larry's oh, been yes. talking about uh, from Eric yeah. Lewald and Julia Lewald about all the details behind it. I'm going to give away a copy of that book. If you want to text the answer to this question, uh, you can text it at 84126. Make sure to put your name. It's so like James from St. Louis. And your uh, answer to this question Night of, the Sent- or, uh, Night of the Sentinels. We had part one and part two. Morph dies in that. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the series from 30 years ago. Um, originally, Larry has said in other interviews, that was supposed to be a different character, but they didn't use him. Originally, the original X-Men who died, Dave Cockerman, Len Wein from the comic books. If you can tell me who that character was in the comic books that died on the new X-Men's first mission... Text it to us at 84126. I will send you a copy of previously on X-Men. If you get the answer to that question right, you can uh, once again text that to 84126. If you have any questions for Larry, feel free to call in as well. Uh, Larry, I'm going to take one more commercial break. You're okay to stay with me for the rest of the hour, yeah? Yes. All right, perfect. We are going to take our next commercial break. We're going to come right back and chat more with Larry Houston. Please stand by.
1: This is Alan Oppenheimer, the voice of Skeletor. And you're listening to Geek To Me.
0: The voice of Skeletor from Filmation Studios, where Larry got his start. We're chatting this hour with Larry Houston. Uh, Just all the different stuff he's worked on. Director, writer, producer, and of course, storyboard artist on a lot of these projects. Uh, Going back to the Filmation days, uh, you got to draw some of those comic books what was I guess was there a learning curve? Did you already have? You said you took the test, failed a couple of times, but you got in there. Was that where you feel like you learned the most about storyboarding an artist, or did that come at a later time for you?
1: At that time, it it learned. I got to learn the um, the the system of 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 um, what is ex- what is expected of you when you're in an animation studio. I mean, because I'm around. I was you know you're working with artists that are equal to you in, in every way. And so you got a chance to I got a chance to see, you know, cause coming from computers, you know, everybody's computer geek, but now I'm working with artists and it's like I'm drawing and I look at their drawing going, wow, that's great. Oh, look at that one. Oh, man. These, <laughs> everybody's here is extremely talented. Basically, I took some of their boards to learn the system that Filmation had because um, it wasn't it, part of the system they had was a system called the stock system, which was a lot of reuse of animation. Right. And so you had to, that's how they were able to keep the costs down and keep the work here in the States as long as possible. So instead of just drawing brand new setups, you, you had to be creative in creating um, scenes that could be reused within the show to cut down the costs of the overall show. And so that was a learning curve for me of learning the stock system.
0: Hmm.
1: The, it's it's And it was good discipline. It's good. It was a good discipline to learn, because. But when I left, Filmation to go work for Marvel Productions, it was the opposite. It was like I was I was working on a show. Not the very first show was not Spider-Man: is Amazing Friends, but it was Syndicated Spider-Man, and they were doing a. They needed twenty-six more episodes, and the director was uh, Art Vitello. I got hired by Art to to do, uh, to work on the last thirteen that they had, and. His thing was like, there's no stock system; just draw it. And it was like, <laughs> it was kind of a shock to my system right. after learning the filmation system, where you couldn't you couldn't be innovative. In this one, you could just do anything you want; just just tell the story, and that kind of you know got me out of that stock system and and brought back my comic book imagination to to creating the story, storytelling. But the discipline of learning filmation, we used to say. You know if you can learn a storyboard of filmation you can work anywhere and that's true because once you learn the discipline and now you got the freedom you 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 could balance it to in your mind when you're working on a show hmm. and uh, it it was filmation's training was really valuable for me to become a to become a better storyboard artist over the years
0: and uh, we played the cops uh, theme music as we went on to that last break that's another one of those great the toy series mm. and the that cartoon I I love that cartoon Silverhawks and those, uh, those, like I said, the 80s for me was the best time to be watching yes. cartoons. But uh, of, of all those cartoons, we had like Cops and Gem. You mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you have of those, the storyboards, obviously it, it's you doing the art on some of these storyboards, but obviously the art kind of has to look different on real Ghostbusters as it did on Challenge right. of the Super Friends, as it did on Gem. Uh, what was it like shifting styles for you as an artist?
1: Um, shift uh, as long for me, as long as the characters had basic human anatomy, it, it wasn't a problem. It's when you, w- there are times when I had to shift from human anatomy to the turtles. <laughs> that was like, okay, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's not the typical, you know, eight heads high and all that other kind of stuff. No, this is car- cartoon proportions. So that was like a switch. You know, when I got the try April or one of the other ma- human characters, like, oh, Okay. I can do that real fast you know i can set up the shot real easy um the shifting back and forth took a little adjustment but once you got into it it's like okay i got it now um yeah but most of like ghostbusters and the rest of the shows as long as they were human anatomy human you know proportions it wasn't a problem shifting the style because um one of the things you have to be as a storyboard artist in the animation is that you have to be able to mimic the different shows that's part of being in, in our business. And so you have to have that versatility and being able to, you know, draw something that looks like a Disney style and then move over to a Ghostbuster style to moving over to an X-Men style. But as long as it's as long as, you know, as long as the proportions are good, you're you're good to go, you know.
0: In one of the ones you directed on the Fantastic Four animated series, there was—I noticed because uh, I've got the collection on on DVD—there was a noted difference between there was a. I think the second season had a new intro, kind of uh, it feel like a different tone. What was the reason for the big shift? Because I've heard a couple different answers, but I've never gotten the straight one, and you're the guy to ask.
1: Uh, the first, the first. Uh, I w- well, let me back up a second. Um, I was hired away from the X Men by Marvel away from the X-Men to do the second season of Fantastic Four, because, you know, th- what they told me was that the syndication, the people who were doing the syndication did not like the w- the way it was going, the season one, and they wanted to do a season two and try They wanted me to pull, to bring what I did on the X-Men to the Fantastic Four. So my thing was like, I told them, look, I want to do the classic stories. I want to do the classic look. I'm not going to leave the X-Men without that kind of guarantee, which they gave it to me. And I also asked for autonomy. So those three things they said yes to. And that's when I scooted over to the Fantastic Four to work on that show because I'm a fan of the classic stories of the sixties and seven sixties yeah. and seventies, basically the the silver age. And um, you know, otherwise I was gonna stay on the X-Men for year five. Hmm. And but that's why there was a big change. They told me that they wanted me to bring that what I had you know, on the X-Men onto the FF. And um, I just say, oh, yeah, I'll do that if you can give me one, two, and three. And they said, yes, yes, yes. And they
0: gave me some more money. <laughs> so
1: it's like that's everything good. works
0: out fine, you know? Right, exactly. More money is always good. Uh, we're rapidly approaching the end of the hour. Larry, I feel like we I've got 30 more questions I could ask you. Uh, so we're going to have to have you back if you're game for it at some point. Um, yes,
1: that's fine. Yeah. Perfect. And I, I found some uh, – you were talking about my website with the prints, yeah. Like on the website, so I don't know if you can see any of this stuff.
0: Oh, yes, but I
1: basically I said I create prints from the uh animated show that you know I basically I, I you know I sign beast, yeah. I sign autographs for the for this is what I would do at some of the conventions. I would just bring some of these things uh, where people can love see it. them and buy them.
0: And yeah, oh, okay. so we want to mention the website too. Again, it's it's Larry Houston. There's a gorgeous phoenix print that can be yours right there, uh, and then you can have Larry sign that. He'll send it to you, uh, lovingly packaged, I'm sure. There's dark phoenix yeah. for those of you who like a bad girl. Yep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> got, uh, Larry Dash Houston, and again, uh, we didn't get an answer to the trivia question, but we will uh, try that again later on. Um, Larry okay. Houston, it's been an absolute delight to speak with you. Uh, right and you here. can catch him on Twitter at X Men Director as well. You're very active on Twitter, so uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. And like I said, we'll have to have you on the show again if you're up for it.
1: Okay, we'll do. And also let your fans know that sometime in the future, there's something called planet size X-Men and Marvel hired me to do a variant cover. So that's coming out in the future sometime. I don't know when.
0: Perfect. We'll look for that on uh, upcoming new comic book day. Larry Houston. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank
1: you, sir. Nice to invite. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No problem. Glad to have you. And remember, you can uh, catch the website, geektermiradio.com. Go there. You can see the archives of our previous interviews with all the other people we've mentioned. And this will be up on the website in the coming days. If you're hearing this online, thank you very much. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the gifted youngsters good night This is James Enstall host of Geek to Me Radio and I have a mission for you Help me Obi-Wan Kenobi the next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geek 1st and click our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go to supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Game of Thrones, Blu-ray, or Sonic screwdriver, Allons-y! click through from geek 1st This tape will self-destruct in five seconds.